Give it up for Howard if you would. And yes, I am Howard's comfort animal, just so you guys know. So uh, I am available for rent, for hire. So uh, turn your Bibles to Acts 13. Just so you guys know, uh, I think for me, so Howard, you talked about the Second Timothy, right? He hasn't given us, he doesn't want us to live in fear, but power. For me, I think it's, um, I am God's workmanship. And sometimes I want, I, the criticism in me can sometimes work on, uh, on uh, overtime. And I can tend to lose not only a sense of my own workmanship, but someone else's workmanship in Christ Jesus. And that God has created us all different, all uniquely. And who am I to criticize or tear down somebody else? Sometimes to make myself look good or feel good. And uh, here's the beauty, right? We are, we are all God's workmanship, created individually, created uh, so uniquely by God. And his design brings us together. We're like this mosaic, right? Mosaic of the beauty of God. So let's celebrate God's workmanship together. Amen, church? All right, Acts 13, turn there in your, in your Bibles if you would. Uh, of course, the controversies continue because today is day one of the World Cup. Who doesn't care? Okay, that's what I thought. Most people don't care, but, um, you know, talk about, talk about distractions, right? If you don't know, the World Cup uh, has, uh, has been, been going through a bunch of controversies. Anyone know what the controversies are with the World Cup? What is it? Human rights. Okay, what else? Um... Within a period of 44 days this past summer, a person died every day for 44 days straight in building the stadiums, building the arenas. So the, the work environment is, is horrible. The human rights violations are horrible. But we were distracted this past week. Matter of fact, just two days ago, because the latest announcement is that no beer would be sold at any of the venues. And you would think the world has come to an end. And what is amazing is all the Twitter verses, it's, it's a light, right? And just so you know, we know that the Twitter verse is working when you have a blue check mark verified by Elon Musk, who's approved Jesus, so he's in, and Donald Trump's back in. So give it up, right? So the Twitter verse is all good right now. And it's lit lighting up because people are saying, we're talking about beer. And we're missing out on the more important discussion. What about the people who have died? What about the, the human rights violations? And isn't it just like the enemy to distract us? Isn't, isn't this like we, we should be talking about more important things and, and how we're not immune to this, right? We want to get wrapped up in, in you know, how's Elon doing with Twitter and, and what's going on with the elections and, and this and that. And the one thing we fail to miss is looking at our own hearts. So that's what we're going to do this morning. I don't want us to be distracted because this discussion is not about Budweiser or no Budweiser. This discussion is not whether Donald Trump got his Twitter account back or not. This is not about who won the election, who lost the election. Right now, this morning is what we need to be focused on, and this is our hearts. Because this is what God's aim is every single day, is to... For you to look at your own hearts and to let God bring to the surface things that he needs to either confirm in you or have you be convicted by in something you need to change with his grace and his power. Amen. So today we get to look at your hearts and we're going to use Acts 13 as, a, as an opportunity to do that. So turn your Bibles, if you would. We're going to finish out this, this chapter and look at five things that are revealed about our hearts here. And so there's five points about hearts, some good, some bad. But again, our goal is not to be distracted, but to focus on what God wants us to focus on. Uh, we last week looked at a, a, just verses 38 and 39, talked about uh, justification by faith alone in Christ alone. And I tell you what, I got a great response from people because we need to focus on this topic. Several of you said it may be one of the best messages you ever heard. I praise God for that. If you need a refresher, uh, it's on our website, thechurchesaverb.org slash, I think, messages. Right, Josh? And Josh, give it up for Josh, who's always posting our, our, our messages and, and recording our messages. And, and, and give it up for some new band members, right? Kelvin and Rachel on drums and Kelvin on guitar. Give it up for those guys. So thanks, you guys. Um, all right, back to Acts 13. So... We need to be reminded of how amazing God's grace is. And when it comes to our hearts, we, we, can't, we can't forget this, this aspect of, of God just wanting to show us things about ourselves and reveal things about ourselves. 
And, and it's his grace that, that holds us together. I mean, we, talk, we sang Colossians chapter 1 this morning. I mean, how, how often do we dive into Colossians 1 and, and fail to realize that God holds us together? And he's concerned about the condition of our hearts. And, and what he reveals, he's going to give us the strength and grace to, to address and to fix as we continue to pursue Jesus. So Acts 13, let's look at this section. And then we're going to go back and we're going to just take out the, the, the points that I think are, are salient, that are important. So uh, Acts 13, starting at verse 42. And Paul and Barnabas were going out. So they had just got done preaching uh, about justification by faith alone and Christ alone. And the people kept begging them that these things might be spoken to them the next Sabbath. Now, when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and the God-fearing proselytes, the Gentiles, followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, were urging them to continue in the grace of God. And so the next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of God. About 50,000 people in this, in this city uh, but when the Jews saw that the crowds were gathered, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict the things that were spoken by Paul and were blaspheming him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, it is necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles for thus the Lord has commanded us, and then quotes Isaiah 49, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles that you should bring salvation to the end of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord and as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout the whole region and the Jews aroused the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust of their feet in protests against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. May God write his truths upon our hearts this morning. And speaking of hearts, five things we're going to look at regarding our hearts. First is this. What we see are hungry hearts. There's a hungry heart here. If you notice, uh, verse 42, and Paul and Barnabas were going uh, out and the people, so they, Paul had just got done with his, his message to the synagogue, and as they're leaving, they're packing up their stuff. Notice there's no altar call. There's no sense of follow-up. It's like Paul, it's like the George Costanza mic drop, right? He, he preaches justification by faith alone and then walks out. And they, they follow him, and it says that, that the people kept begging that these things might be spoken to them again the next Sabbath. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, this has never happened to me as a pastor. I have never preached a message, and people would follow me and say, hey, can you bring that same message back next week? I mean, there's something that I would kind of go, that would be kind of fun, right? Like, there was a crowd following me out of service last week, and they just said, bring the message again next week. I go, sweet, I got a week that I don't have to do new message prep. I can just bring back the same message next week. This has never happened to me. Paul's fortunate. Barnabas is fortunate. Why? Because they're speaking something that resonated with the people. And, and four times in this section, what is it that they speak? The word of God. Verse 44 Verse 46, verse 48, verse 49, here's what is central, the word of God. These people had never heard the word explained like Paul just explained it, and they wanted more. There's, there's a hunger for the truth of God. They were not just satisfied to sit in an hour-long service at the synagogue and go, see you next week. They followed him out and said, please give us more. How, how about you? Are you satisfied with just, you know, a 45-minute, 60-minute message once a week and just be like, I'm good for a week? Or do you hunger for the Word of God? These are men and women who, in this Greek culture, this Roman culture, have, have had so much fail them when it comes to their religion, their philosophies, and their lives are empty because those religions of that ancient world have failed them and left them short of what truly satisfies the human heart. And they hear the word of truth, and they want more. 
Boy, I tell you what, may God create a hunger in us for his word. May God create a hunger in us for his truth. May God have you beg of one another for more of the word of God. I mean, is this not the litmus test of someone who is truly in Christ? What do you hunger for? Because I tell you what, all of us have built-in hungers. The problem is we're feeding ourselves garbage. We're feeding ourselves trash. We're binging, we're consuming, we're watching, we're listening, and we do everything we can to fill our lives with something other than the Word of God, and we wonder why we're dissatisfied. We wonder why we're empty. We wonder why we're bickering, and we're complaining, and we're arguing, and we're debating, and we're fighting. It's got to end. The Word brings peace. The Word brings comfort. The Word brings security. It brings confidence. It brings significance. It changes our hearts. Man, I pray that we would hunger for more of the Word. There is a famine of the Word of God in the land, according to the prophet Amos, and we are experiencing it firsthand. What are you hungry for? What are you, what are you, what are you satiating your appetite with? Because if you're not hungering for the, the, the truth, you're, you're killing yourself. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who come to the bread of life who has come down from heaven to satisfy us without end. Blessed are those who come and drink from the well of Jesus, who says, my spring does not run dry. Ladies and gentlemen, what are you filling your life with? Because if you think you can get by with a 45-minute diet on the Word of God and try to survive six-plus days without the Word, you are mistaken. Beg of one another. Speak the Word to me. Share the Word with me. Text me a verse. Do something other than sharing the dismal, crappy stuff that we tend to send one another. Does your heart hunger? Because this is a sign of your discipleship. See, what we have here is, is something re remarkable. Because look at verse 43. Now, when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas. Again, not something I've had, had, have had happen after I share the word. There's not this entourage of people following me, which would be kind of weird and creepy, but I might be okay with it. <laughs> Who were speaking to them, and Paul and Barnabas were urging these people to continue in the grace of God. Circle that phrase. Don't miss this. There's grace to enter eternal life. And there's grace to continue in eternal life. Write these in your notes. See, Ephesians chapter 2 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Right? God has granted you grace. Open your eyes, open your ears, open your heart to respond to the gospel invitation. Come and follow me. Come and find rest for your weary souls, right? We have had grace to enter. The problem is once we enter, we forget about grace as disciples. And here's what Paul and Barnabas says to this audience. Continue in the grace of God. Why is this important? Because it's so easy to go back to our old ways. It's so easy to forget about the, the old nature's gone, but some of us continue to hold on to it. We forget about the fact that the spirit is, is willing, but the flesh is weak. And boy, if I don't continue in the grace of God, grace is the song we will sing till the day we meet our, our God face to face, you guys. We cannot forget about grace. This is why you said, he says, continue, because it assumes they got there. Right? It assumes they got there, but it's also the means by which we continue an intimate relationship with the Savior. Never forget about grace. Don't go back to your old ways. This audience could have been tempted to go back to the law, to their rules, to their systems, to their empty religion. And Paul is saying, stop with the performance. 
Stop with being identified with who you used to be. Grace has made you somebody new. This is why Paul would write the letter of Galatians to this audience and say in Galatians chapter 3, these words to, to, the, to the people, chapter 3 of Galatians, verse 3, uh, let me ask you only this, did you receive the Spirit by the work of the law or by, the hear, or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? See, this is Paul's indictment saying, you come to Jesus by grace, but you continue your walk with him also by grace. Later on in chapter 5 of Galatians, he would say this in verse 7, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? See, Galatians is all about that temptation to try to live by the law. That temptation to try to live by, you know what, I'm just not feeling it right now, so I better go to church activity. I'm not feeling right now. I better, I better do something. And the moment you start thinking you got to do something to get right with God, you've lost grace. A heart that hungers is a heart that hungers, not because you have to, but because you want to. He's changed you. He's made you different. You're new creatures in Christ. Whoa, yes. I'm going to tell you right now, how do you tell a real disciple from a false disciple? A real disciple continues. A real disciple endures. Jesus said it this way, you abide in me. What does a real disciple do? Abides with Christ. And more than just your 45 minutes to an hour on a Sunday, there is an enduring, there is a continuing, there is an abiding, there is a hungering for God every single day. And I think this is good. I think this is good because we, we, some of us have a false sense of security. Is your heart hunger for him? Right, Jeremiah chapter 2, one of my favorite sections of Jeremiah. We keep building these cisterns that hold no water and keep drinking from them thinking it's going to satisfy. God, ha God is our cistern. And the, and the water never, ever ceases. Return to the author and perfecter of your faith. Turn to him who is the bread and the, and the water. Let him satisfy your thirsty soul. And all God's people said, point number two, but not all are enthusiastic. Because once you're presented with this truth, you know what? Some hearts are hardened. There's people in this room right now, as I'm pleading, there's preaching, there's pleading. I, can, I kind of navigate out of both. There's some of you who, it, there's a total disconnect. Your heart is hardened. Why? Well, look at what it says here. So the next Sabbath, they come back, and the whole city's there. This is how, this is how people are starving for the word. They hear a new message, the whole city shows up. Is it 50,000 people? Probably not. You know, Luke is just probably just using a uh, a phrase saying <laughs> there were tons of people because the word of God's been shared. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and they were just rebellious to the end, blaspheming the message that Paul and Barnabas brought. And then Paul speaks out against this crowd and says, what you, you got... <laughs> You got an issue with our message? And he, and he calls them, I love it, this is like a sharp rebuke. Like Paul says, you guys who claim to know God's word, don't. If you did, you wouldn't be attacking me. And the message that I'm preaching is the message you should have been preaching because this is the message given to your fathers. Abraham, Moses, David. And he quotes Isaiah. He goes full Isaiah on them, chapter 49. It says, you exist to be a messenger to the nations. Now, now let's look at this. Notice there's three things here, and this is something where we need to check our hearts. There's three things that take place, and one feeds the other. Jealousy, number one. Obstinacy, number two. And the last one is this, blasphemy. The heart is jealous. 
This is what leads to a hardened heart. Jealousy and its twin brother, envy. You can write that word down too. I love Frederick Beekner, one of my favorite writers. If you've never read Beekner, amazing. He's got a couple books called The Hungry and Dark and Magnificent Defeat. He just died a few months ago. Beekner had a really interesting way of, of phrasing theology and articulating scripture. He said this when it comes to envy. Envy is that consuming desire to have everyone else as unsuccessful as you are. You like that? See, the Jews knew they were failing. Jealousy is the heart that says, I want you to fail with me. See, Paul's confronted him and said, the law cannot save you. And if I'm going down, I'm going to take as many people down with me as possible. They don't have a heart to rejoice in what God is doing. Matter of fact, you find jealousy existing in your own hearts? Can I just tell you, start to rejoice in what God is doing in other people's lives, and you will kill jealousy. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, and trust me, jealousy will be vanquished from your heart. The problem is we have a hard time thinking beyond ourselves, don't we? We're really self-absorbed people. Or am I just speaking for myself? I don't know. I'll just put myself out there. See, their, their reaction of jealousy illustrates the principle that what fills you will control you. Write that down. What fills me will control me. And there's some people who claim to be filled by the Spirit, but there's no controlling of the Spirit. See, if jealousy is left unchecked, you really stand in rebellion against God and what he's trying to get your attention with. And then it leads to blasphemy, which is an abusive way of just treating other people. Think about the pattern. Jealousy is a resistance or obstinacy towards God. And when you do that in order to feel good about yourself, you tear other people down. And that's really essentially what blasphemy is. Blasphemy is any manner of speech that disregards or disrespects another, the value of another person. So here it is. And you know why these guys were jealous? Here's the kicker. These were like the first Baptists. And I, kick, I, I, I rail on Baptists because I'm an ordained Baptist preacher. And I was, I was trained in a Baptist church. Don't hold it against me. I mean, the potlucks were epic. But another thing the Baptists did, and I saw this firsthand, if you were sitting in their seat, they would give you the dirtiest look in the world. Now, I'm not saying this is exclusively a Baptist issue. But this is what was happening. The next Sabbath, the Jews came to their synagogue and their seats had been taken by the Gentiles. Because there was a message being preached that they had never heard before. And instead of rejoicing that the message is being shared with those, those dirty, filthy Gentiles, they're sitting going, he's in my pew. That guy's in my seat. And I've seen this 2,000 years later. I said in church, I go, Really, that person, instead of rejoicing that that person is in church hearing the truth of Jesus, they're more mad about the fact that they're in my seat. See, that's hard jealousy. You can't rejoice in what God's doing in someone's life. You're only concerned about what you're not getting. Wow. He's exposing their hearts. He's exposing the limitations of their law. That's why they're rebelling, and this leads to blasphemy. These men are talking horribly about Paul and Barnabas. And Paul doesn't even skip a beat. He speaks boldly against them and rebukes them and quotes Scripture to them. He says, if you guys were doing what God wanted you to do, we wouldn't be having this discussion. And yet you're tearing me down. I've had this happen before in a church context where I had a leader at a church as I'm proclaiming the gospel, walking the hallways and blaspheming me and distracting people from focusing on the truth. Good thing I wasn't carrying that day. Just kidding. I don't carry any day. <laughs> but I had another leader confront this leader and say, what are you doing? You, you are clearly speaking out against what pastor is sharing that day. And so that night I went home, and I'm like, this guy's got to go. 
And the next morning, that person scheduled an appointment with me and said, we're leaving. And part of me inside said, good riddance. And I said, aw, we'll pray for you. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. It reminds us that when God's word is shared, there's, there's going to be a counter attack. Right? The devil is eager to sow seeds of division and discord and disunity and distraction. But I think we need to check our hearts. This is an opportunity to, to say, what does God want me to, to, to embrace and to, and to perhaps break under, right? These people were pouty adversaries, and they should have been privileged announcers like Paul. Right? Stop pouting! The word preached! Hallelujah! Stop being miserable. Jesus is being shared. Amen? I mean, we've got an announcement. Stop being critical of some other pastor, some other ministry, some other leader, and just rejoice over the fact that we get to declare the, God, the truth of God's word and the gospel. Because what this is, and he says it here, look at verse 46. When you do this and you repudiate God's truth, you judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Verse 46, verse 48, only time the phrase eternal life appears in the book of Acts. And it's right here at this pivotal moment of the gospel being spread to what is then Asia Minor. But you judge yourselves when you reject God's word. You, you judge yourselves when you reject Jesus. Let, let, me, let me illustrate this. So say you and I go to Paris and we go to that famous museum called the Louvre. And there at the Louvre is a famous painting by Leonardo da Vinci called the Mona Lisa, which I hear is only like this big. No, it's a little bit bigger than that. Famous painting, right? You go, to the, you go check out the Mona Lisa, you look at the Mona Lisa, and what if your response is, yeah, it's a piece of crap. Here's the thing. I would say to you, if I was with you, my friend, Mo, the Mona Lisa is not on trial. You are. The Mona Lisa has already been judged to be a masterpiece. You're just a crummy art critic. Amen? Like, you can listen to the most magnificent Beethoven symphony, and someone goes, yeah, garbage. It's like, you're not there to judge that. It's already been established for a couple hundred years that that symphony number nine is a masterpiece. See, Jesus isn't on trial, and he's never on trial. See, we act as if, oh, we got to defend Christ. No, you don't. Jesus is not on trial. We know who he is. You're the one on trial, and by what you are doing with Jesus Christ, you declare judgment on yourself. You pronounce your own sentence. Ladies and gentlemen, the truth has been established. How are you going to respond to it? reveals a lot about what's going on in the person's heart. Which brings us to point number three. There's a hearing heart. And this is what God does. There's a work that only God can get the credit for. Your salvation. Look at Paul says in these, these wonderfully mysterious yet masterful words, verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing, right? There are going to be people who rejoice over the truth of God's word. Amen? There are going to be people who get joy out of the fact that we're talking about Jesus. Yes! They're rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. There it is again. The centrality of the word is key. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed, not all hearts hear the voice of God. Not all eyes have the blinders removed to see the glory of Christ. Not all hearts are awakened from their stone-like death. God is the instrumental actor when it comes to the work of salvation. For salvation, in salvation, and after salvation. <laughs> 
God is the instrumental actor working on our hearts to cause us to hear. See, here's what's remarkable, is that Paul and Barnabas didn't come to the table and say, hey, we're here to entertain you. We got some skits, we got some magic tricks, and we're going to sort try to, to whet your appetite. No, no, no. They didn't come with some sort of new, slick, master-striking presentation. They came with the Word of God, and the Word of God did what it does, and it goes and it divides your hearts. Isaiah 55 verse 11 says these words, and I love this passage, Isaiah 55, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth, the Lord says, it shall not return to me empty, it either, it either changes you or convicts you, right, it either leads you to accept Jesus or reject Jesus, it doesn't do any neutral work, right, but it shall be accomplished that what I purpose, right, I shall succeed in the thing for which it was sent, so Jesus, uh, God's word never fails in doing what it needs to do. Either changes you to accept Jesus or it further convicts you to reject him. And something we need to think about is this. The fact is we're looking at this passage and Paul is emphasizing the work of God. And this is what turned Antioch upside down and nothing else will turn this world upside down, you guys. Paul's not speaking on human relations. He's not speaking on the World Cup. He's not speaking on poverty programs. He's not speaking on culture. It was because he spoke the word of God. That was the key to everything. And not saying those other things are not important, but if we forget the gospel, you can accomplish all these wonderful things in the world and there's still souls damned to hell. And we, and we do not want to play games with that. We want, to, we want to preach Christ and him crucified. And so here's the word pointing to the person of Jesus. And, and the ultimate reason these people are changed is because God had planned it from all eternity. Look at verse 48 again. Let's look at this. This is a marvelous verse. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. That word appointed, circle it in your Bibles. It's what we would call the divine passive. Something that happened in the past that has continuing results to the present. The word appointed is also the word it's been written down or logged. What do we know from the book of Revelation, chapter 13, chapter 17? That your name is written in the Lamb's book of life before the world began. What? Some of you are like, I've never heard this before. Here's the good news. Is that God, according to Ephesians chapter 1, has predestined some to election before anything was ever created. Some of you might be hearing this for the first time, and that's good, because this is an, an amazing truth. This is an amazing reality, is that God has appointed some to eternal life. That's, that's what the verse says, right? I'm not misreading it, am I? I'm, I'm reading this to see that God has chosen some people to be his. Even Jesus, as he's ministering, he's saying, there are some here that are not of my fold. Even Jesus knew that there's an electing love that says, the sheep that are mine will hear my voice and the others won't. If you have heard the voice of your shepherd, you should be grinning ear to ear and celebrating God's majestic love for you. Amen, church? If, if you've heard the voice of the shepherd saying, come follow me, you, you should be ecstatic. You should be sweating and perspiring. You should be doing somersaults, right? How are we to understand this? Because there's some who don't hear. There's some who don't see. There's some whose hearts are not changed. I mean, you want to write down some verses, Romans chapter 8, verse 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. But why? Because it cannot. See, Paul's writing about what is true of every single human being is that we are born into this world sinners. And it's not because... We're sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. That's our nature. Ephesians chapter 2 says we're dead in our trespasses and sins. 
But God, verse 5, chapter 2 of Ephesians, makes us alive, causes us to hear, causes us to see, causes our hearts to become from like stone to like flesh. Ladies and gentlemen, God steps in and does this amazing work, right? In a heart that says, according to John chapter 3, everyone who hears and rejects the gospel hates the light, does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. We want it our way, not his way. It's the Frank Sinatra syndrome. That's what we call it. I want it my way. No, you don't. Sorry, chairman of the board. They remain darkened in their understanding because their hearts are hard before God. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18. It is, it is a guilty ignorance, right? The truth that's available by righteousness, they suppress the truth. Romans chapter 1. Here's the problem that we don't want to admit and we don't want to accept because doggone it, there's something good in me. No, there isn't. There is none good but God. Jesus himself said that. Here's the indictment. You're dead, you're ignorant, you're foolish, you're hardened, you're disobedient, you're rebellious. Boy, you're making us really feel good, Pastor Scott. Hey, you don't know the good news until you understand the bad news. Here's the reality of it. God's sovereignty and human responsibility work hand in hand. Let me explain this. First point is this. God's appointment. This is the divine side of evangelism. This is why earlier in Acts 11, unless you guys forgot, let's just go back. Acts chapter 11, verse 18, it says this, that God, he says, when they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Only God can grant repentance. Why can't we do it? Because our minds are darkened. Our hearts are hostile to God. Skip forward to Acts 16. Look what happens to a woman named Lydia. We're going to get there eventually in chapter 16. Look what happens. The one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira. She was a seller of purple goods. She was an amazing businesswoman who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. You don't come to God because you want to. You come to God because he has compelled you to because he's changed your heart. If you're appointed to eternal life and you believe, rejoice! Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. But don't harden your hearts and don't plug your ears and don't blind cover your eyes if you yet don't know Christ today's the day of salvation there are some of you who today may be the day of your new birth maybe it's tomorrow here's the thing we revel in God's patience his long suffering right all who came to faith this day did so because of divine appointment God had it scheduled, which is kind of weird. It's like in his day timer on his Outlook calendar. August 15, 1985, God had an appointment for me to come to know Jesus in an upstairs bedroom in North Scottsdale. Where were you? When did God meet you? When was your appointment with the, the, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings? Because I tell you what, his action of election where he renews us by the Holy Spirit and creates faith in our hearts. When you respond and you taste how good the Lord is, there's no turning back. There's that continuing again. There's that enabling. There's that, there's that, there's that hungering again. See, what we see here in Acts is an appointment to believe. And the only reason anybody is ultimately saved is because God intervenes in the heart. Because if God is not intervening, there's no change of heart. Which brings us to the flip side of the same coin as a human responsibility. Human, humanity's acceptance, the human side of evangelism. There is a real response. We're not talking about some sort of mechanistic, robotic-like orchestration of the universe where, where God saves and, and we're just, we just respond because, you know, he's forcing us to do these things. No, it's a genuine response. When your heart is awakened to the beauty of Christ, you do not want anything but Christ. There's a true 
grabbing on to Jesus, that happens. The God who appoints the ends also appoints the means for you to believe. And when you do believe, you're simply responding to the activity of God that he's already performing on your soul. So God's sovereignty, human responsibility go hand in hand. And those who reject, reject because they choose to reject. And in the words of C.S. Lewis, I haven't mentioned Lewis in a long time, so it's time for a little C.S. Lewis. The doors of hell are locked on the inside. It's only by God's grace. It's only by God's grace, not by works of the law, not by religious observance. I feel for a woman this past week, Camille Heron, who is an ultra runner. What does that mean? She runs more than 10 yards, which is usually what I clip at, but... Ultra runner Camille Heron ran 100 miles in world record time. 12 hours, 41 minutes, 11 seconds. She ran 100 miles. Right? Or so it seemed. Later on, the track was remeasured, and the USA track and field officials claimed that the course was 716 feet short. And they pulled the world record from her. What an illustration of falling short of what was required. She could have been short 15 feet. She wouldn't have kept the record. She labors 100 miles, 12 hours, what? And to accomplish something and yet have it be taken from you because you didn't measure up to what was the standard? That's the indictment that rests on all of our souls this morning. All fall short of the glory of God. And, and we feel it. I can go to the movie theater and go see a movie and the the ticket is 12 bucks. I could pull out $11.50. They're not letting me in. No, here's the price. Anything less doesn't give you entrance. Who, what makes us think we're going to get in? By our own good works. By our own righteousness. Praise God for one who stands in our place. Praise God for one who has paid the price for us. You know why you're admitted? Because Jesus foots the bill. And if you've been appointed to eternal life by the heavenly king of the universe, and your heart has been changed from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, praise him. Revel in his goodness. Don't take it for granted. Spread the gospel as you, as you need to. Share the good news. But don't you dare think that you caused anything to happen. It's all of God. Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. Point number four, some people don't like this message. We're going to wrap this up real quick. The hostile heart. Hostility happens when you really dig in your feet and say, I refuse to believe. And things can turn a little bit violent. That's what happened. Matter of fact, the women got involved. Yay, ladies, not in this situation. The Women's Liberation Front of Galatia steps up and says, we got to get these guys out of town. Hell hath no fury like a woman confronted with Jesus. Hell hath no fury like a man confronted with Jesus and refuses to submit. We don't want to hear this. Get out of our town and so they drive them away. And what do Paul and Barnabas do? Classic Jesus. He says this, just wipe the dust off your shoes. Move along. Now some people are like, oh, but that's just, that's not sensitive. Like, like we should just love these people. There's a time when you just need to move on. How many, have, how many of you have a hard time moving on from problem people? Can I just say right now two things application-wise? Number one, you pursue those who are gospel-softened. Because here's what the gospel does. It will either soften you or it will harden you. The same 
sun that melts the wax also hardens the clay. You pursue those in your life that are interested in Jesus. Amen? Someone who wants to talk about these things, pray and pursue them. But for the person that's hardened, stop casting your pearls before swine and move on. Now, that doesn't mean you don't stop praying. You, you, you continue to pray for them. But you got to move on. Sometimes we spin our wheels with people that are just not going to change. Here's what you do. Pray for them. And guess what? We'll never call you insensitive. Amen? Pursue those that are God-softened and pray for those who are gospel-hardened. And let God, in the end, do the work on their hearts that he ultimately needs to do. Last point, and we'll close with this. The happy heart. Woohoo! We're going to end on a good note. Joy and persecution go hand in hand. Some of you are like, what? We avoid suffering. We avoid persecution. We avoid conflict. We avoid all sorts of violence, right? Sometimes you can't control what happens to you, but here's what happens. Notice verse 52. We're going to close with this. And the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what you don't see here. And they spoke in tongues. It doesn't say that. To be filled with the Holy Spirit doesn't necessarily mean you speak in tongues. Being filled with the Holy Spirit doesn't mean you miraculously start healing people. Here's what the presence of the Spirit does in the heart of a person who's going through difficult times. Jesus presses in by means of his Spirit and reminds you, you're his. He reassures you, amen? He comforts you, amen? He's a God who says, you think you're walking in this, this journey alone? You're not. And if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you as well. Boy, who's signing up for Jesus right now? That sounds appealing. But here's the beauty of it. And sometimes I think we as 21st century believers need to understand, we need a little Acts 5.41 in our lives. They walk away from being beaten, from proclaiming Jesus, and they're rejoicing because they, they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. Who the heck does that? You know who does that? People who are filled with the Spirit. Where are you at when difficulties arise? Where are you at when circumstances don't work out the way you want them to work out? Where are you at when you're driven out of town in the name of Christ because people are rejecting Jesus? Where are you at? I tell you what, if there's not joy connected to your suffering, there's a heart that's not filled with the Spirit. How does that hit you? How's that settling with you? Of all people, you need to be the ones that are rejoicing, good or bad. Amen, church? It doesn't matter what goes on in, in our elections. It doesn't matter what's going on in our governments. It doesn't matter what's going on with the World Cup. It doesn't matter what's going on in our, our marriages and with our families. Those are all important topics, and I'm not saying you turn a blind eye or, you, or your heart goes hard towards those things. Here's what I'm saying. There's something that makes you who you are that goes deeper than all that stuff. And that is a heart that is anchored in the Savior who reminds you He is there. He is present. He's looking out for you, and He's not going to let you stumble or fall. He's a God who gives you joy unlike anything this world could ever offer you. He's a God who gives you peace unlike anything this world could ever give you. My peace I give you, and that's not a peace like the world gives you. It's a peace that reminds you of who you are. You've been appointed by God for salvation. Walk in that reality. Be filled with joy. Be filled with the Spirit. Hunger for God like He's the only meal that satisfies because He is. And live recklessly telling other people about the good news that's found in Jesus Christ. How's that for homework? Love you guys. Praying for you guys. 
today's the day of salvation. The fields are ripe for harvest. Your God is using you to do great things. And all God's people said, Woo! Let's pray. Let's get out of here. Come back for lunch. And if you don't, more barbecue for me, all right? So let's stand. Let's pray. Father, thanks for today. Thank you for the word. Lord, it is a delight to share your truth. There's always a concern, Father, from my heart that I, I never want to add or take away or, or, or just mix my thoughts in with your, Lord, let your word be what it is, the very breath that has come from you to, to enter our lives and change us. Lord, may your word be that instrument that provides us comfort, assurance, security. And, and, and that's for those who, who know you, who love you, who are walking. But I can understand also how your word this morning is also that scalpel that's getting at the heart of someone who doesn't know you and maybe is hardened towards you. Lord, I'm praying that today is the day of salvation for those that are still in darkness. I'm praying that today is the day of salvation for those who are still blind. I pray that those that might be here today have hearts that hear the voice of the shepherd saying, come to me and follow me. Lord, thank you that you are continually doing a work Lord, even as people reject Jesus, you are still working and your plans will ultimately prevail. Help us to trust that. Help us to believe that. And help us just to be faithful followers. Thank you for loving us, for setting your affections upon us, for changing our hearts, for choosing us before the foundation of the world. Thank you for such love. May we glorify you in all the things we do and say. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray these things. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift his face towards you and give you his grace and peace forever and ever. Amen. Have a great day, guys.